Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So five-star wide receiver Jeremiah Smith made some news over the weekend for something that he said about Georgia, and we're going to share that. And listen, I'm not going to say anything negative about Smith here because I don't think there's anything negative to say. Smith is a recruit going through his process. He's taking a lot of visits. One of those is to Georgia. Every recruit's got an obligation to himself, trying to make the best possible decision about you know where his future can be I, I guess best secured and so Smith's kind of going through his process a little bit on that and he recently spoke to uh the athletic he was uh, you know out in California for some of the seven on seven stuff going on uh in connection to the elite 11 finals that Jeff Sintel was also covering and Smith in terms of discussing his steadfast commitment to Ohio State despite the fact that he's taken a lot of visits has said has sort of said something uh, in relationship to George in all of that because he was being questioned about, well, how come it is you know that if you're so committed to Ohio State that you've been taking these other visits, and what about Georgia, a place that Smith did visit? Let me show you this quote from Jeremiah Smith because I think it sets us up for conversation we need to have today. Smith telling The Athletic about Georgia, they aren't even second. It's just Florida, basically saying that Florida would be ahead of Georgia there. He says, to me, Georgia doesn't really throw it like that, meaning they don't throw the football very much. I don't want to stay in the state of Florida, but Coach Napier has been saying I'm a program-changing player who can change Florida the way it was back with Percy Harvin and all those guys. So Jeremiah Smith telling the athletic there that he's steadfastly committed to Ohio State, but if he were to consider another school other than Ohio State, it wouldn't be Georgia, the place that Smith has visited and seemingly enjoyed his visit. And obviously Georgia has had so much success with so many different five-star recruits. He said it would actually be Florida because right now Billy Napier is basically telling me everything that I want to hear about how much of a program changing player I could be I'd actually rank Florida ahead of Georgia there on all of that so that's the situation and honestly that's not too surprising I, mean, I think we've all been you know fairly uh realistic about this I think back when Jeremiah Smith was talking about taking Georgia visits and you know kind of being around UGA even in light of five-star quarterback Dylan Riola's commitment to Georgia even in light of all that I think we talked about how tough of a recruiting pull this would be I don't know there's been a higher degree of difficulty recruitment that Georgia could have ever entered into uh, than the one for Jeremiah Smith and I'd asked Jeff Centel directly about Smith over and over again several times and there was always some version of the question of hey is it realistic is it real could Georgia really get Jeremiah Smith and to Jeff's credit you know he never sort of you know told us what we wanted to hear he never kind of you know gave us uh sort of empty calorie you know potential and promises he always said sort of the same thing that as long as Brian Hartline the very successful wide receivers coach at Ohio State as long as he remained remained employed there in uh, Columbus and despite a tumultuous offseason obviously that's the case uh as long as all of that is true then Jeremiah Smith's not going anywhere but Ohio State to Jeff's credit he always sort of said it that way and I think understanding that we've always sort of had the approach with Jeremiah Smith of nice that George is getting a chance to take some cuts here nice that George is a factor in this recruitment but ultimately Smith is not likely to land at Georgia he's likely to stay at Ohio State so ultimately you know we don't have any beef with Jeremiah Smith Smith's going through his process he's taking his visits he's doing his thing he clearly seems to like the attention and there's no problem with us on that part when it comes to him but for some Georgia fans though the thing that Smith says at the beginning of all of this is the kind of thing that sort of brings up some bad memories sort of brings up some 
I guess, unpleasant conversations of the recent past. The idea that wide receivers are very hard to convince to come to UGA. That Georgia can go out and win with the top players of this position, the top players of that position, the top players at virtually every position, but in terms of recruiting the sort of elite five-star or even like, say, top 100-level recruit wide receiver at the very high four-stars, in other words, that Georgia just sort of has a hard time doing that. And so while we don't necessarily you know, mind that Jeremiah Smith seems happy to Ohio State and he's going to stay there. The idea uh, that Georgia is not a good place for five-star wide receivers to go to because, as Jeremiah Smith says, it, they don't throw the ball around very much. It sort of feels like that's one of those narratives that we need to push back against. And I think that the facts are kind of already on Georgia's side on this. And to kind of jump to the end here for a moment, what you're what you could see moving forward is an even more emphatic response to all that during the season in other words when jeremiah smith says i'm going to ohio state because they throw it more than georgia i'm not going to georgia because they don't throw it they, they don't they just don't throw it enough that's not a good spot for me as a five-star wide receiver because georgia doesn't throw it enough what aggravates me about that which should probably aggravate you not mad at jeremiah smith because frankly i don't care but sort of just mad at but the idea this narrative still continues even despite the fact that georgia won the last two national championships but along the way towards doing that georgia has also thrown the ball actually pretty well in fact they threw it pretty well against the team that jeremiah smith sort of holds as the gold standard here of well nobody throws it better than ohio state when it comes to wide receiver spot they've been very very good you can't you know negatively recruit too much against ohio state when it comes to their production with wide receivers admittedly that's true but y'all we just saw georgia play ohio state in a high profile college football playoff game going back to last december and while ohio state was great throwing the ball they had 41 points and cj stroud was 23 of 34 for 348 yards and he threw four touchdowns the fact of the matter is when it comes to throwing the ball there that day georgia went step for step blow for blow with ohio state Stetson Bennett was 23 of 34 for 398 yards. He had three touchdowns of his own. A guy like Arian Smith had three catches for 129 yards. Uh, the, the idea, well, you know, Georgia doesn't throw it like Ohio State does. Against Ohio State, Georgia, you can say, at least threw it as well, if not slightly better, at least well enough to win the game, 42 to 41. And then beyond that, you know, you want to look at all the things that Georgia's done. A lot of that kind of proven by what Georgia did against Ohio State there that day. And in fact, so much so that back in uh, January, after that game was over with, I had a chance to talk to Georgia wide receivers coach Brian McClendon. This was out in Los Angeles prior to the national championship. And the performance of the Georgia wide receivers producing, you know, almost 400 total yards of passing, three touchdowns through the year that day, the performance of the Georgia wide receivers – I don't know there's ever been a game in which Georgia's been better. I don't know that there's ever been a game in which uh, you know Georgia stepped up in the passing game better than it did against Ohio State, proving what this team can be with the passing game just as good as anything else that it's been doing over the course of the last two national championship seasons. In fact, uh, part of the reason why that's apparently true is is that Georgia kind of knew this was the narrative, right? Georgia kind of knew that Ohio State's receivers were thought to be so much better than Georgia's, thought to be the kind of the gold standard in the sport. And Georgia was, you know, just nowhere near the same category as Ohio State. And apparently, word on the street was, is that Georgia wide receivers coach Brian McClendon stood up and challenged the Georgia receivers before that game. Apparently, he stood up and said, hey, 
This is what they're saying about you. The narrative is you can't, you, you guys can't catch the ball. The narrative is is that that we don't have any good wide receivers, at least not in the same category of Ohio State. Well, the st- the stats from that game tell the story that Georgia stepped up and did what it needed to do. And the word on the street was a big speech from McClendon was the challenging, motivating force prior to all of that. So this is what McClendon said back in January about his message to those Georgia players uh, prior to that game. Georgia showing that its wide receivers in a big game could play every bit as well as Ohio State's could. This is what Brian McClendon said about all of that. Really, Coach did a great job of of having everybody kind of going and putting everybody on the same page. And, and uh, me talking was really just one of the pieces. It really was really just one of the pieces. I think uh, a lot of credit goes needs to go to these guys uh, and the hard work that they've done. And, a hard, and, a, and all the stuff that they put themselves through to get to this moment. Um, I mean, you feel really, really proud for these guys that just put themselves in this situation. Obviously, the, these guys that he's referencing were those Georgia wide receivers. And I told him during that interview that I don't know that the Georgia wide receivers had ever played better than they did in that game against Ohio State. And obviously, there was some extra poignance to that because of what McClendon referenced there, the fact that there was so much, you know, kind of not just on the line to win the game, but – Ohio State's recipe for victory, as Jeremiah Smith alluded to with his quote a little earlier, was using its great crop of wide receivers that Georgia needed to be just as good at that position if it wanted to have the best chance of winning that game. Brian McClendon helped propel that group to be able to do that. And the Georgia receivers went out and played amazing there on that particular day. And McClendon was obviously more than happy to kind of brag on how his guys performed, pushing back against that narrative that somehow Georgia doesn't throw the ball. Once again, here's Brian McClendon on how his receivers performed against Ohio stay yeah i think uh the guys that, that came out there and did a good job um i mean we we, we know man that, that we're responsible for way more than just catching the football uh we're responsible for making sure man that 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 we do our job and we feel like if we do our job in general whether it's catching or not uh then that'll greatly impact the game and i feel like man we do we, we those guys have done a good job of embracing that and understanding that and, and wanting to be one of the pieces on why we go out there and play well so Jeremiah Smith, the five-star wide receiver, and we don't have a beef with Jeremiah, but he's echoing a statement that's been said before. It's, oh, yeah, Georgia doesn't throw the ball. That's not a good place for good wide receivers. But as Brian McClendon points out there, as the stats themselves tell the tale, when the very best wide receivers in college football ran up against Georgia last season, Georgia actually threw the ball just as well, was really just as productive, if not more productive through the air than what Ohio State was. But, but here's also the kind of end point on all of this. If you're watching on video, you see me holding in my hand here the Athlon Sports College Football Preview magazine. You also see you know, a little bit smudged here. I had it open at the pool yesterday. We were reading that and having a good time and all that. And as I was reading, something kind of jumped out to me, especially in light of what uh, Jeremiah Smith had told The Athletic. I saw where Athlon you know, does its unit rankings. They look at all of the various units for every conference, quarterback, running backs, offensive line, stuff involving the defense, everything else. And what I saw in that uh, Athlon preview magazine kind of gave me a little bit of indication that there is something true for Georgia that I don't know that's ever been true before. Because let's face it, you know, the idea that the narrative exists enough for Jeremiah Smith to say that he notices oh, yeah, Georgia doesn't throw the ball, that you don't get to that as a true narrative without something happening in the past to at least give some idea you know some some sort of voice to that like an idea like that builds momentum because of some facts some evidence some whatever else 
And for a good while now, we would probably say that, yeah, you know what? The one position group that probably does lag for Georgia a little bit probably has been the wide receivers. That's probably been the case that some of Georgia's success through the air has come with tight ends. And, you know, Georgia, early days of Kirby Smart, much more content to run the ball than they probably are now. That probably seems like, uh, you know, that's been kind of the case. But in, according to this Athlon Sports College Football Preview magazine, and they're not the only publication that's probably saying something of this right now, Athlon for this upcoming season actually ranks the Georgia wide receivers as number one in the SEC. Number one in the SEC. Now imagine that. This is a league that includes an Alabama. This is a league that includes an LSU. And while Georgia may not have the single best wide receiver in the SEC right now, there are other guys that probably kind of contend for that honor here at the moment. According to Athlon Sports, objective neutral publication, Georgia does have the best group of wide receivers in the SEC. Some of this is because Ladd McConkey is coming back. He had nearly 800 yards receiving last year. A lot of this is because a Dominic Lovett and a Ra-Ra Thomas have transferred in. These were leading receivers for their team in the league a year ago. Ra-Ra at Mississippi State. Uh, Dominic Lovett, one of the most productive receivers in the entire league a year ago. Uh, he's obviously now at Georgia there as well. This is about Marcus Rosemey Jackson coming back. Probably a more productive year than uh, folks may realize. This is about Arian Smith, who had a great game, as we mentioned, the Peach Bowl, now being healthy. That the Georgia wide receivers on paper are actually the best crop of receivers that Georgia has probably had coming into a season. We'll see what it actually looks like on the field with Carson Beck, the presumed starter, and Mike Bobo now at the helm as offensive coordinator. But the measurable talent on paper that Georgia seems to have at the wide receiver spot, it looks pretty robust here at the moment. Now, whatever Georgia has had in the past has been good enough to win national championships. But there's also that hope, that desire that Georgia can kind of conquer this final frontier here. People kind of wondering, what kind of passing attack can Georgia have? Can it have a first-round pick-level quarterback? Can it have that level of talent at the wide receiver position? Well, it seems like over the course of the last couple of seasons, offensively, Georgia's been on its way to doing that. Georgia was fourth nationally in points scored per game in 2022. They were ninth nationally in points scored per game in 2021. For all the attention that Georgia's defense has gotten, offensively Georgia has been as productive as virtually anyone the last two seasons anyway even if it hasn't always gotten the credit but in 2023 because of the talent that it has a wide receiver it has a chance to play in such a way that no one can mistake it anymore no one can miss it anymore that Georgia really could be on its way to producing an offense especially at the wide receiver position that's just as good as everything else that Georgia has had at every other position group. And if it is able to do that, you better believe that in the future, five-star wide receivers and future classes, they're going to sit up and take notice. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video. We start at 945, first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that facebook youtube twitter twitch all across all those video platforms just happy to have you with us uh radio at noon typically speaking on athens sports radio 960 ref preempted there today back there tomorrow then of course as a podcast wherever you find them the apple player spotify worldfamousdognation.com lots of ways for you to connect with us just happy to have you on any of those platforms here today However you choose to be a part of the show, we are really glad to have you with us. Also, big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia for making it all possible. You know, equipping your house with energy-efficient windows and doors. And you know, this morning as I was getting ready for the show, I was sitting around the house, and it's kind of stormy a little bit. It was raining, wind was blowing a little bit, kind of one of those just sort of summer storms that comes through. But if you've got improperly 
sealed windows or, you know, kind of faulty door or something like that. You know, not only does that kind of stormy weather create a draft inside your house, in some cases you've got, you know, some of that debris from the outside coming coming into the home. That's not what you want. You want that stuff to stay outside where it belongs. And this time of year when you got that air conditioning cranked up, because let's face it, it's been hot. You know, for a while we had kind of a mild start to summer, but it's been hardcore summer as of late. So you get that AC cranked up and it's uh, you know working overdrive. Well, guess what? You don't want that, all that expensive air conditioning kind of creeping outside your house either. You want it to stay inside, keeping you and your family nice and cool and comfortable. That's what great windows and doors can do for you. Keeps the outside where it's supposed to be on the outside. It makes the inside feel very, very good. That is what Pella window and doors are all about. They are truly viewed to be the best. In survey after survey, year after year, homeowners here in our market area have certainly recognized Pella as the brand leader that it is. And it's time for you to investigate for this for yourself and come to the same conclusion. I want you to stop by and see them at their experience center there in Duluth. Put your hands on the uh, on, on the product. Talk to one of those Pella experts. It's a no-pressure consultation, of course. But really educate yourself about the installation options, the financing options if need be the entire array the entire product line and really make the decision to do the best thing you can to make your home feel good on the inside look good on the outside that is what Pella window and door of george is all about you can also between now and june 30th get some great savings How about 10 percent off your entire project or no payments no interest for 12 months all of that with our friends at Pella so stop by and see them right there in Duluth or give them a call 678-638-1429 that's 678-638-1429 or find them online PellaofGA.com slash dog nation that's PellaofGA.com slash dog nation just make sure you tell them that BA from dog nation daily said they would take good care of you because I know that they will all right a little bit of housekeeping here for a moment tomorrow on this show around this time we have a very fun announcement that I've been given the green light to make. Been wanting to do this for a little while, was prohibited from doing so. But tomorrow, very fun announcement that so many of you are going to want to hear. We're going to do that here during this space tomorrow. So make sure you're close by on that. Something that I finally have been given permission to go ahead and tell the entire world. So we'll do that tomorrow. And boy, I am so excited about that. Also excited about John Stinchcomb here coming up in just a couple of minutes. Always great to have him as a part of the program. But prior to that, I do want to go around the doghouse here today. And there's obviously a lot going on with Georgia recruiting here right now. Jeff Sintel had some great stuff this week from California. I would say that over the course of our time together this week, we're going to hear some from what Dylan Riola had to say out in California at the Elite 11. Ryan Puglisi also seemingly made a pretty nice name for himself out in California there as well. We're going to be covering that. Georgia had a crop of official visitors on campus uh, this weekend too. It was all a part of that kind of busy month of June that we've been hyping up for such a long time and it seems like this was another interesting week there for uh, Georgia so we are watching all of that here but as I'm broadcasting here live on a Monday it's as I'm looking at my clock here right now it's 10 19 in the morning prior to our show going off the air at least the uh, R.S. Andrews cool down portion of our show prior to that George is going to get some news about a possible recruiting target that could be a commit here for the class of 2024. This is a name that we talked to you about on Friday. We actually talked to Jeff Sintel about this a little bit on Friday there as well. It's Makai Boyro, the uh, nose man out of Creekside. Big defensive line prospect uh, listed uh, 24-7 sports at 390 pounds right now. And he had shut down his recruitment. He was supposed to take a visit to, to Michigan this weekend, decided not to do that. Uh, and uh, now ready to make his commitment announcement. In fact, let me show you this from Mokai Boro 
on uh, the screen here saying, I'm committing tomorrow. He tweeted this yesterday. I'm committing tomorrow at 11 a.m. So we're about 40 minutes away as I'm broadcasting here live right now, about 40 minutes away from the Boyro announcement here. It seems like Florida is a pretty big factor in this recruitment, and this is one of those deals where honesty compels you to admit that Florida had a very – Florida had a very interesting recruiting weekend. They obviously added a lot of big-name prospects to the class of 2024. They had one very high-profile loss. We'll talk about both of those things a little, little bit later on for some additional context here. But Georgia, uh, I should say, Florida added four pretty sizable recruits here to its class of 2024 here this weekend. So you'll be left to wonder, well, how much does that momentum potentially help them with Boyro here today? They're obviously a factor in this recruitment they've probably been in on boy Row a little longer than georgia has uh but georgia has certainly made a lot of uh i guess strides in that direction here as of late you know kind of valuing him as the sort of space eating nose tackle that if you want to be the the sort of run stopping factor and force that georgia has been having those big space eaters in the middle uh, that's what you want to do. Jamal Jarrett's been a little bit of an example of, of that from last year's recruiting class. Obviously, you want to go back to the gold standard on this. That would have been Jordan Davis. And Boyro could be the next in line to kind of have a chance to kind of occupy that that nose tackle spot right in the middle of a defense. Clearly has the size to do that. He'll, of course, need to slim down some if he wants to play at Georgia, but that's sometimes to be expected. Those body transformations are a big part of what goes on when you talk about bringing a guy like this into the fold. So we'll watch for that 11 a.m. This is a player that I do believe that Georgia wants. Does seem like the Florida's a factor here, so we'll kind of see that battle play out here prior to us going off the air, at least on the video side of things. We'll get ready to do all of that. And as I mentioned, before we're done today there as well, uh, I want to kind of focus in on just what a wild recruiting week it was, weekend it was for Florida, adding a bunch of big commitments, but also a very high-profile, very, very interesting recruiting loss. And we'll, so we'll try to figure out what all of uh, that means. For now, we'll make that around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia uh, today. Georgia watching for a commitment ad, possibly before the day is done. So we'll have our eye on all of that. And, of course, there'll be plenty at dognation.com as well writing up on this and kind of talking about where this stands and what's next for Georgia when it comes to its 2024 recruiting class. We're watching all of that very closely, all of that very carefully. But for now, on everything else as it relates to Georgia football, including a very interesting investment the program seems to be ready to make, the athletic department overall, let's cover all of that ground here right now as we welcome back, once again stateside, by the way, after an international call last week, uh, John Stinchcomb, the former Georgia All-American, here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window Indoor Georgia here today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Want to welcome back John Stinchcomb, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia today. John, trust you had a nice trip. We uh, talked to you last week. You were in Morocco. I guess via uh, Spain there on that. First of all, quite the international traveler. Very impressed by all of that, but uh, happy to have you back here on U.S. soil here once again, and I'm glad to have you back a part of the program here today there as well. Well, it was a great time to travel. It's uh, always good to be home, and it was nice to represent the dogs. I had uh, my Georgia backpack on and ran into a couple other uh, G-wearers international, and it's, uh, it's good to say go dogs no matter where you're at isn't it always amazing that wherever you are um 
you do seem to run into some uh, Georgia people. I had a friend yesterday that reached out and shared a picture that he had taken with the Dooleys. Of course, uh, Vince Dooley obviously passed away last year, but uh, you know they were renowned travelers. Had you know gone all over the place and like they were like uh, I forget exactly where it was, uh, but like somewhere a long way away, and just ran into uh, Coach Dooley, Barbara Dooley, get their picture taken there, right there. Uh, whether it be a famous person or just a regular Georgia fan, that Georgia G seems to pop up just about everywhere, doesn't it? Sure does. Uh, in 2010, I was on a USO tour and in Afghanistan, and just wow. being able to represent the G there, as many dog fans in our armed forces as there are, it was fun. Uh, we were in Kandahar, and wow. there was a, a Georgia flag that was being waved, and you know, it's uh, it's always fun to be around some fellow dogs and share some stories and give a go dogs when uh when you're at least passing by so no doubt especially under those international brand especially under those circumstances that's very very moving so i want to bring you to the conversation we were having before you joined us which is listen whatever georgia is doing is working right they've won the last two national championships we understand that and yet there's also this desire to kind of conquer those final frontiers there as well high profile wide receiver recruit a guy that i'd love to see georgia get told another publication this weekend that hey you know georgia wouldn't even be his number two choice because as he says it georgia doesn't throw the ball enough for him to go there and listen on the one hand i sort of get it you know a place like ohio state clearly has produced first round type pick wide receivers over and over and over again you cannot you cannot poke holes at their successful wide receiver position that's just a fact but on the other hand we a sort of think that Georgia's probably been better offensively than sometimes is given credit for. They've been top ten scoring the last two years. They were fourth, you know, this past season. And in a game like against Ohio State, Georgia showed they could go sort of, you know, blow for blow and win a shootout type game like that. That on the one hand, on the other hand here, Georgia's wide receiver play's probably been a little bit better than it's sometimes given credit for. But how much does that sort of speak to you though? the kind of need for Georgia to break through in a big way here this year and demonstrate on paper a good crop of wide receivers just how productive Georgia can be at this position in particular? Yeah, I I certainly don't think they need to change the recipe for success that they've adopted and and bought into uh, since Kirby Smart has has been the coach. And I do think there's been an evolution. I think there's uh, more offensive production than they're given credit for. And historically, if you look across the league, um, I think back to, to the years where Georgia Tech had Demarius Thomas and, and Calvin Johnson, and they certainly weren't throwing the ball around, and the NFL was able to find the, the level of talent that they had. And Georgia's no stranger to that. You look at the A.J. Greens and the other receivers that have come out of the University of Georgia, and they've been able to find success. Um, at the next level. So that argument that, you know, Georgia doesn't throw the ball enough for you to be found or to be seen, that's just not true. And um, I think there is a, a greater expectation in today's game that um, you're going to throw the ball. And, and Georgia has done that pretty efficiently to, to the tune of two national championships. Um, and that's part of what players are looking for. Now, if you're looking at your individual stats, one, I would say your focus is in the wrong place, and I, I wouldn't be too upset if you went other places. But um, if you think that you're just not going to get your throws, that's just not the case. I think Georgia has become uh, one of the offenses that that leads in a number of categories, and uh, with the commitment of Rayola and just the evolution of the offense, I 
I don't know why you wouldn't look and say this is a great opportunity for me, no matter what position you play across the offense specifically because of uh, the style that, that Georgia has has shown to be pretty proficient in. Yeah, no doubt about that. And listen, I think for some fans too, there's some excitement because you know I mentioned right now on paper it sort of looks like that Georgia may have the deepest crop of receivers in the SEC here this year. That's typically what you'd say for an LSU or for an Alabama. And I totally agree with you, John. I don't want Georgia to change its recipe because the recipe right now is really working. Georgia throws it when it needs to. It runs it when it wants to. It obviously goes out there and stops other teams from from throwing it or running. And that's that's the recipe for national championships. And yet, even for me, you know, as a fan, and certainly I think a lot of other fans feel this way too, there's a little bit of excitement about something that's kind of new and different, which you haven't really seen before. And the idea that Georgia has you know, receiving the program right now like a Dominic Lovett who had nearly 900 yards a year mm. ago. Alad McConkey coming back for another year after having about 800 yards himself. Ra-Ra Thomas was Mississippi State's leading receiver. Marcus Rosemey Jackson, I believe, was more productive than people realize. Arian Smith is now fully healthy. He could be he, he could be a real star. And we haven't seen that over the course of a full season because he's battled injury. And you could mention other names too if you wanted to, but those are just a few names to just kind of mention right there. That, that Georgia actually has – something that sort of feels new and different for this program at wide receiver, and given the fact that people still like to hold this over George's head, I think there is some excitement on the part of fans to say, hey, let's go out and unleash those receivers this year and just sort of shut everybody up at that point. Yeah, and what's scary to the tune of all the names that you listed, and rightfully so, one of the biggest threats a defensive has to account for is Brock Bowers. Yeah. he is, I think he's he's obviously the type of player that any program is looking for because of his skill set, but I think it's his unselfish nature. He's not a guy that's saying, i got to get my touches. He's saying, when my team needs me, I'll be ready. And that seems to be the identity and quality and characteristics that Georgia is trying to identify and encapsulate and embody for their entire offense. And uh, Brock is one of those guys that is the uh, cupbearer and the standard for which uh, Georgia is trying to get all their players to uh, try to attain, and that it's team first. And you're going to get your chances, and when you do, uh, we hope that you shine. But it's going to be uh, the, the Georgia first approach across the board, and uh, our wide receiver room, I would put it up against just about anybody. I, you know, top five at the very worst, um, just with the skill sets that uh, have been cultivated and developed in the University of Georgia, and also with the addition from the the transfer portal, we just poached two of the most competent uh, receivers in our conference, and it only adds to a room that. It's becoming distinguished in its own right. One more quick point, and then I want to move on and talk about something different, but I'm glad you brought this up. The other part of this you have to like make a very prominent part of the discussion is I wouldn't trade Brock Bowers for anybody. I wouldn't trade him for Marvin Harrison Jr., no disrespect. I wouldn't have traded him for you know, uh, any, you know the USC receiver a year ago. Like I'm not swapping Bowers for anybody anybody right now that's how good that I think he is so you can call him a tight end if you want to I believe he may be the best player in football regardless of position and in terms of pass catching target John I'll take him over anybody yeah I'm right there with you I think what he creates from a a challenge for a defensive perspective is exceptional and it's special and um, 
playmaking ability, big playmaking ability, his uh, his willingness to sacrifice and put team first and blocking. You watch him as an inline blocker or in motion. He's exceptional in those roles, coming up big and, and just situational play. I mean, you point back to the game against Ohio State and, and that conversion of the first down. He's wow, his, his ability to make big plays, what we saw against Florida and picking a ball off a helmet of, of a Florida defender. I mean, the guy is truly special in a number of ways. And I think tight end is one of those positions when you have an elite player like Brock is, um, it's much more dangerous and much more difficult for a defense to prepare for than uh, a, a wide receiver. And I would agree that if, if I'm building a roster and given the opportunity to kind of pick and choose which premier player, uh, whether wide receiver or tight end, that I would start with, uh, I would take Brock Bowers every time. Uh, shifting gears here, I don't believe we've heard from you yet on the announcement that came out last week, Georgia finding out who its 2024 SEC opponents are going to be. And, you know, John, a lot's been made of this, but for me, you know, we expected the schedule to be tougher because you're getting rid of some of those bottom feeder SEC East teams that Georgia's been kicking around for quite some time, adding more teams from the West. You're adding two new teams in the league. You know, to me, I think some of the 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 histrionics around this announcement has been a little bit overstated from the standpoint that I think think that Georgia's still well positioned to deal with the schedule, I believe. Although admittedly, road game at Tuscaloosa, road game at Texas. This is a this is a pretty beefy uh, schedule, especially when you add a, a, a Clemson non conference game, one of those games that we do know the data. That's obviously week one. You know, what do you make of the uh, I guess the new look Georgia schedule for twenty twenty four? Still waiting on some of these dates, but obviously we know the schedule, and it's going to be a little tougher than what we certainly see Georgia playing on paper here this year. What are your thoughts on that schedule? Yeah, I love the term beefy. I mean, it is it's pretty <laughs> chock full and. What I appreciate most is you can't, that storyline of, oh, they've played favoritism, that certainly doesn't apply because you look at the, the road schedule for that 2024 season and no one did Georgia any favors. And I don't think Georgia's asking for any favors. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be a, an exciting season where, uh, you know, if there is a complaint, you look at the, the home schedule and, of all those big games, a lot of them are on the road. And so it's going to be a challenge just for the team to uh, have that sustained success. But I'd also make the argument with the expanded college football playoff uh, scenario that you're not going to need to go undefeated like you have in years past. Now, that's not to say that you know, you're know you giving games away, but um, it, it, it was exciting to me to see, I mean, as, as this – college football landscape continues to evolve you know there's going to be some significant changes and this is just kind of par for the course over these next few years is uh, there's some seismic shifts taking place and uh, for that 2024 season there's a couple road games that you got to circle and say that's that's some exciting stuff I, I know I've talked to some other friends that are fans of the program that are trying to figure out uh, when that Austin game is. Yeah. And, uh, that seems like a, a fun road trip for a lot of dogs. Well, you're using the word excited here and exciting, and I think I agree with you on that as opposed to, like, say, 
something to be worried about or something to be concerned about or even something to be angry about of all the SEC stuck into Georgia. I think those emotions are all wrong here in this particular case. I think the appropriate reaction is, gosh, this is fun. Getting a chance to go to Texas, getting a chance to maybe be, you know, one more reminder of what Alabama used to be, what Georgia is now. I think if you're a Georgia fan, you ought to want the ball in this situation. You ought to anticipate the idea of playing big in bigger games in 2024. And frankly, I, I think that the the viewpoint that it's fun and exciting is a lot more, I think, the appropriate reaction as opposed to it's something to be worried about or something to be angry about. I think you ought to embrace all of this because it's just a reminder of the kind of, I guess, overall level of relevance the SEC is going to have here moving forward. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're, you're seeing a shift. There's a shift across college football landscape where there, uh, there's a stratification of talent. And um, for Georgia and Georgia fans, we want to see those big games. And now that the conference includes a Texas and an Oklahoma, I think you're going to see more of those on a regular season basis. And you know, it used to be there was this level of concern that if we lose one or God forbid, two, then your postseason aspirations are shattered. And I think there's a complementary movement in that we've expanded the conference, you've increased the, the overall quality, which comes at a risk, but with the expanded college football playoffs, um, whether you call it devaluing those losses or recognizing that we can add quality to uh, regular season games and know that, you know, maybe there's a little more risk tolerance for programs. Um, I think it's to the benefit of fans that we get more games that are meaningful and exciting. Um, and, and it won't cost you those end of year aspirations that they once would have. I want to finish on a slightly different note here. You've been on the UGA Athletic Board, so you've had a lot of uh, conversations and been part of a lot of discussions about you know various improvements that are anticipated for some of the Georgia sports. And one of those in the spotlight right now is baseball. Georgia's hired a brand new baseball coach, Wes Johnson, and you know, John, I'm a big baseball fan, and I watch you know the baseball postseason. I think it's one of the more underrated sporting events in our country, really. I just think that watching the way these teams advance the College World Series and what happens once they get to Omaha. I think it's just one of the most fun things in sports, and obviously it's been a while since we've seen Georgia there in that spot, and I'm jealous of that. I'd love to see Georgia kind of back competing in that scenario, that situation, uh, again here very soon. And, you know, one of the things that's on tap here for Georgia is that Foley Field's getting some um, some stadium enhancements, right? You're going to add some more seats and kind of add some more, just basically some facility infrastructure for the Georgia baseball program to be able to use. Like, how much... Uh, of, of an investment do you think is going to help the baseball team here and I guess you know what is your thought on you know what a, what a program like Georgia could do to kind of put its baseball program you know Wes Johnson comes here from LSU uh, LSU's probably I would say the gold standard in the SEC in terms of investment into baseball like like what's your anticipation for just how how big baseball could be at a place like Georgia well sure LSU's playing tonight right and right. Georgia is not and we're, we're, we're trying to rebuild and that's not uh, – I don't think anybody, if, with the exception of that COVID year, you look at it and go, man, what could have been yeah. for Georgia baseball. Uh, but but overall as a program, sometimes you just need new energy, and that's not a uh, conviction of what has happened before, but sometimes you just need an injection of, of some energy into the program. And 
Um, I think when you add a new coach and when you address facilities, you're able to do that. And that's the anticipation and, and the desire for the entire fan base of, of Georgia athletics as a whole. I, I think you look at the investments that have taken place in tennis, the projection of a new facility for track and field, um, obviously the investment into softball and baseball and the renovation thereof. There's recently uh, improvements made uh, to the, the, the golf center. So across the board, the facilities at Georgia are being addressed and, and either brought up to a standard that uh, should be acceptable or at least a, a standard uh, across the con- conference that would allow us to be competitive and allow our coaches to recruit at a level that brings in talent where we're competing for championships. And uh, athletic, our athletic director, Josh Brooks, has said multiple times that the expectation, the desire is for each one of our teams to be competing in, in the postseason and uh, aiming for championships. And if, as an athletic department, we need to provide the resources and, and the facilities for us to, A, recruit well, and B, host and uh, be seen as, as competitive in each one of those fields, well, that's what's being done. And, uh, I, you know, you look at the sports uh, that the University of Georgia provides, and baseball, I think we all believe this, it should be one of the uh, strong suits that Georgia offers, and uh, hopefully Coach Johnson can, can get us there and uh, get this program on track to, to be competing in Omaha instead of watching others do it. John, I think that's great stuff. I always appreciate your perspective on topics like that. Thank you for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, window and door of Georgia today. As we said before, glad to have you back uh, stateside here again, and we'll look forward to talking to you once again very soon here on our program. Appreciate it, B.A. Go dog. Yes, sir. Thanks so much. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So all I can do on a subject like this is sort of talk about my perception, and who knows if my perception is correct or not, but I sort of perceive a couple of years ago that there was a lot of energy around Athens for the non-football sports. And this is one of those things where, like, Georgia's a big state. I'm talking about geographically, it's a big state. Dog Nation sort of stretched far and wide. And to be completely honest, this is just a cold, hard fact. Like 90-something percent of the people who would listen or watch a show like this, all they care about is football. And I think that's probably representative uh, representative of the Georgia fan base overall, that the overwhelming majority of Georgia fans only care about football. But there is a pocket of Georgia fans, and I think a lot of this is sort of centered around the Athens area. They do want to see Georgia be good at everything. They want to see whatever UGA competes in, they want to see Georgia be good in those sports. And a couple of years ago, I sort of got the sense there was a lot of energy around some of these georgia sporting events you know basketball tickets were not super easy to get baseball tickets were not super easy to get you know if you cared about those things and i think a lot of the attention the sec network gives to those other sports to kind of raise the profile of them a little bit even at sort of a football obsessed place like uga there was just sort of a higher profile to the other sports and the perception i have is and this is a little bit of just my instinct so it, maybe it's wrong but the perception i have is is that some of that enthusiasm has kind of waned here a little bit you know we're in a situation where a lot of folks are a little bit wait and see on what mike white's going to do as a basketball coach and 
lot of folks are kind of you know obviously wait and see as George enters into a new era in baseball. You know, had a nice run for the softball team this year. You know, Lady Dogs seem like they've kind of identified a pretty good coach after uh, Joni went to Texas A&M, and you sort of cite some of the other sports there too. And admittedly, I've told you before, I can only be true to myself. There are some of those sports, sort of Olympic type stuff, I don't follow at all. I don't know a ton about tennis. I don't know a ton about track and field. You know, it seems like you know Georgia got some good things going in those sports, but I'm not really capable of talking that much about those because I don't really follow them all that closely. Uh, some of you follow that kind of stuff a lot more closely than I do. But you know, everybody sort of maybe has the sport they do sort of like. And for me, one of those sports I'd love to see Georgia be very good at is baseball. And so maybe some of these facility upgrades timed with a brand new coach, uh, obviously a part of an LSU program that, as John said, uh, competing for national championship right now, maybe we'll see some of that. But when you watch what happens you know, during the weekend when these SEC series take place, other spots in the SEC, you realize just how fun all of that can be. And so we'll see if Georgia has a chance to do some of that very uh, soon there as well. We'll talk more about, the, by the way, the, the College World Series in a moment. But prior to that, let's go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. This is a pivotal week for me because I've been telling you about this for a while. This weekend, I'm actually going to be taking my family on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Looking forward to that. A little short getaway for us. Kind of a final summer thing before we kind of get ready, ready to get serious with the grind of the upcoming football season. So one more sort of quick summer getaway for me and my family. We're really, really excited about that. We love the convenience of Royal Caribbean and the chance to be able to do that. So uh, a little bit of a housekeeping note, but also a reminder to you that you can do the same thing. So we're actually going to have a couple of pre-recorded shows near the end of this week. And we're going to have one on Monday there as well, because that's the day that I'm driving back from the cruise port. So we're going to have a little bit of that. That'll be kind of the final part of all of that until uh, really kind of the end of the year. You know, we'll, be, we'll be hardcore all the way through the football season after that. But looking forward to doing a little bit of that here this week as I get ready to be. Because my family, we kind of like to be in the port area, you know, kind of get settled in, be ready to go on that cruise vacation. We usually like to tack on a little bit the sort of the onset of the cruise just to make sure we're all there and all settled. So we're going to do some of that here this week. Looking forward to a fun Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. And you have a chance to have your own great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation experience. Our friend Jessica Slater is a great, great travel agent to help you out with all of this. You can give her a call 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You want a short three-day cruise like what I'm doing? You want the four-day cruise, which gives you a chance to kind of resemble what the Dog Nation cruise was like back in April? Or if you want the biggest, best experience you can have, a seven-night cruise on board one of these Oasis-class ships, well, guess what? Jessica can help you with all of that. And whichever Royal Caribbean cruise vacation you think is right for you and your family and those that you love, now's a great time to book it. Thinking about late 2023, early 2024, of course, the debut of Icon of the Seas, big part of all of that. So you can have a great experience on board a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. And Jessica Slater, a great travel agent to help you out with all of that. All right, let's go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean here for a moment. And we talked about Florida a little earlier, and in a few minutes, we're going to find out if Florida is a factor in uh, Makai Boro's uh, commitment announcement. Obviously, that's one that George is watching close. We talked to you about that a moment ago. But what a, what a busy weekend it was for Florida recruiting, adding four four-star commits here this weekend. Admittedly, that's pretty productive there for the Gators. Aaron Childs, the four-star linebacker. Amir Jackson, the four-star athlete. Two pretty good defensive linemen, Amaris Williams and uh, Nirsir Johnson. So Florida was very busy and very productive. 
with its recruiting here this weekend. And honestly, uh, their official account kind of took a bow for that, and you kind of understand why they would do that. Uh, they need every one of those recruiting battle wins, and right now they got four of them really all coming in the same day. Very busy there for Florida. But what's weird about all of that is, is that does not quite dominate the headlines necessarily with, from a Florida recruiting standpoint of this weekend because uh, what a lot of Gators fans are also paying attention to is what Florida lost over the weekend. You've heard us talk before about Austin Jackson, the quarterback commit for the class of 2025. And the context here is, is that Jackson was a 2025 commit out of the state of Florida. This is the guy they call uh, is it Muck Vic, I think is his nickname, because he comes from the area called the Muck, uh, you know, left-handed athletic quarterback. Uh, they call him Muck Vic, kind of a fun, uh, fun nickname uh, for him. But at one point in time, there had been some chatter that he might reclassify, even though he just finished his freshman year of high school, that he might reclassify as a 2023 commit because somehow, some way, he had the ability to, to graduate high school that early, two years early, which is kind of wild to think, might graduate high school that early and might have a chance to be a part of the Florida roster. By the way, Florida needed a quarterback addition. In fact, after spring practice, you'll remember that Billy Napier, upon seeing you know how bad you know the two Florida quarterbacks performed during the spring game, uh, in, including the uh, you know the potential starter, the the recent Wisconsin transfer, as bad as Florida kind of quarterbacks kind of performed during that spring game, uh, Napier said in his post uh, uh, spring game press conference that they uh, were definitely looking to add another player at that position, and a lot of people thought. The thing that he was referencing was not a transfer quarterback because at that point in time there weren't a lot of great transfer quarterbacks left to be had, but a reclassification from Jackson, the Florida quarterback commit uh, from the class of 2025 up until, I guess he just finished his sophomore year of high school, but the class of 2025 up into this class of 2023. But instead, this weekend, Jackson flipped Ole Miss, and he is now going to reclassify. So the whole reclassification thing turned out to be true. But instead of reclassifying to be a part of the Florida program, he's reclassifying now to be a part of the Ole Miss program. And Florida fans were beside themselves. The uh, Twitter account Message Board Geniuses had some fun with Florida fans there on that. And then Lane Kiffin, who's always uh, seemingly up for a little trolling on social media, he then retweeted this. So you had the Florida fans complaining about this. Uh, the Message Board Geniuses folks picked this up about the idea that Billy uh, Napier's cooked. Uh, uh, the Florida staff sucks. Uh, absolute joke. Uh, our coaches and IL administration should be ashamed. And so Lane Kiffin retweeted this, basically the Florida fans melting down over losing Austin Jackson to Ole Miss. So what a strange recruiting weekend for Florida, whereas they add four four-star recruits to the class of 2024, but they lose their prize quarterback recruit. Now, the context here is a couple of things. First of all, the one thing that Billy Napier was supposed to kind of have as his um, – I guess, claim to fame thus far being at Florida was that he has handled the quarterback situation pretty well. The commitment to DJ Lagway is the, maybe the proof of that. Uh, you know, Jade Rashada was supposed to be the proof of that, but then they ended up losing Rashada because of a weird NIL situation at the last moment. And then Jackson, a in-state guy, was supposed to be the kind of the prize guy for 2025, and now he's gone there as well. So all of a sudden, Napier the one thing that he seemed to be doing pretty well, which is bringing quarterbacks, all of a sudden now he's lost two quarterbacks, and that becomes not quite so much a strength anymore, but maybe a, a little bit of a source of weakness that you could not hold on to an in-state quarterback who decides to go to Ole Miss. Now, the other part of this, which I think is pretty weird, is 
is why is Jackson in such a big hurry to join the Ole Miss roster? In a place like Florida, you could say, you know, because of the fact that neither one of their two quarterbacks, you know, played particularly well during the spring, that there may be an opportunity there at Florida, even for potentially a very young guy. But at Ole Miss right now, I'm not quite so sure you think that's true at all. You know, they've got Jackson Dart, the uh, USC transfer from a year ago. Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State, he transferred in there as well. But it's Walker Howard, the former LSU quarterback. A lot of folks seem to think that Howard left LSU because he saw that Garrett Nussmeyer was clearly right now in line to play over him, and Nussmeyer may end up pushing, uh, 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 you know, the, 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 the Jane Daniels, the starting quarterback, before the season is done. Uh, so with Nussmeyer being in place and ahead of Howard at LSU, Howard left went to, went to Ole Miss. A lot of folks said this spring that Howard actually looked pretty good and that while he's not in line to be the LSU, the Ole Miss starter right now, Howard could have a very bright future. So you have three quarterbacks at Ole Miss right now who've kind of generated their own level of buzz, and now Austin Jackson jumps two years early into the college program to kind of be the fourth quarterback at Ole Miss. I have to admit there's an element of this that doesn't quite make sense to me. Maybe there's some big NIL payment, and so maybe that's all you, you, you need to know, I guess, as, as a high school athlete in uh, Florida. I guess he'd be eligible for that. I'm not sure. But but the point is, is like, why are you in this big of a hurry to get rid of your final two years of high school just so you can go to Ole Miss and sit the bench? And it's not even obvious that he'd be, you know, of the young quarterbacks, the next in line to be the eventual starter because a lot of people really like Walker Howard a lot there at Ole Miss. This, to me, admittedly, seems like a little bit of a strange situation. I'm looking forward to hearing kind of more about what led Jackson to flip from Florida to Ohio to, to Ole Miss and reclassify to put himself into a pretty crowded quarterback situation. Like, are you really going to develop more riding the bench at Ole Miss than you would playing two years of high school football? I have to admit, I think that's a little bit strange. I, I, I do, but I'm sure Jackson's got his own reasons for that. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, Elite 11, Jeff Sintel was out there. We'll talk to Jeff about this later on in the week, his full experience in California watching Ryan Puglisi, watching, obviously, Dylan Riola. Uh, uh, some cr uh, uh, credit goes out here, though, to Julian Say and the Alabama quarterback commit who was named the Elite 11 MVP. At one point in time, Say had been kind of on Georgia's ra radar but obviously Georgia was locked in, zeroed in on Dylan Riola. So as I joke with Jeff there when he joined us this past Friday, this is one of those things where it's a little bit hard for me to sort of figure out who actually did what when it comes to the Elite 11 because it seems like different people have sort of different opinions about some of this kind of stuff. Uh, but we do know that Saiyan won the MVP, so credit to him for doing that. We'll talk to Jeff Sintel a little bit more later on this week about exactly how Buglisi and exactly how Riola performed out there. We'll do that with Jeff a little bit later on. Then finally, College World Series is rolling on here right now. You got Tennessee elimination game uh, coming up today after they lost LSU the other night. LSU and Florida and you know both those teams right now I think look really really strong the chances of having Wake Forest is really good uh but the chances of having an SEC national champion between either LSU or Florida I would say I would say those chances are pretty good right now because both those teams I mean LSU you know their pitching situation um and you know the Florida pitching I think looks pretty good right now too plus they also just absolutely just bombed uh offensively the other night there as well so Florida looks pretty good as much as it pains me to admit LSU is a big factor and we'll see if Tennessee can stay alive and stay in this thing after losing to LSU in the first game playing an elimination game here today but it's always a fun sporting event we'll love to see Georgia back there college world series rolling on in Omaha 
will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And the uh, guy who's kind of tasked with the uh, job of getting Georgia kind of back into the College World Series hunt and getting the NCAA, uh, 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 the Georgia basketball team back in the NCAA tournament and all the other sports, that is Georgia Athletic Director Josh Brooks. And tonight on the beat with our buddy Mike Griffith, Mike's going to have Josh Brooks there as a special interview so get a chance to hear from brooks on kind of how these other sports are going what the outlook is for you know the future of mike white uh, coaching georgia basketball and west johnson now the georgia baseball coach and i guess stegman coliseum and kind of some of the issues that made that uh building uh you know unable to host sporting events at the end of last season a lot of questions kind of away from football as it relates to georgia athletics and so josh brooks going to answer a lot of those tonight with our buddy mike griffith on the beat here on the dog nation video channel so tonight tune in you get a chance to see all of that i'm sure it'll be a fun and lively conversation we appreciate josh brooks spending a little bit of time with dog nation there for our golden shoe today uh we had some fun with john stinchcomb a little earlier so john joined us last week from morocco and i've always said that i don't have i've not really done a lot of international travel in my life but morocco is one of those places i love to visit i've been to the morocco pavilion at epcot but i have not been to the actual morocco uh not done that but i do love the movie casablanca and all that kind of stuff so i think it'd be a cool thing to be able to see and john shared a couple of photos with me of how cool it really is you see him and his lovely wife there on the camels how about that on the camels right there on the beach what an amazing thing that must be uh also to have a you know former all-American offensive tackle on the back of that camel. I'm sure that camel maybe wasn't loving life there. It almost looks like the camel should be riding John. But uh, nonetheless, uh, very, very uh, good to see. A great time from John Stinchcomb. The Stinchcombs look great there in Morocco. So uh, nice to see them representing Dog Nation way uh, out in the uh, continent of Africa. So an amazing thing to be able to see there. How about the lousy, stinking Gators? Gator hater countdown. Uh, Georgia not traveling too far, just to Jacksonville, coming up 131 days from right now, but delivering another defeat to the Gators when they do so. 131 days from right now, we'll make that your Gator hater countdown. We'll see all of you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia.